Welcome, um, everyone, to Mosaic Christian Fellowship uh, for our worship together. It's so great to be here uh, with you. Um, I wish we could just keep singing uh, praises um, and just keep going, but uh, we should really get into today's word. If you're here for the very first time, my name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here um, serving just this church, and it's really an honor um, to be here with you. Um, today, we start a new series. Uh, we just got done uh, preaching through a series called Church Reclaimed, and in that series, we try to understand what the church is and try to understand uh, who we are when we gather together, because to be honest, we lost a lot of that um, in quarantine, and so we spent the last three weeks trying to remember uh, who we are as a family and as a community of faith, and um, if you weren't here the past three weeks, uh, um, I just encourage you to go back um, to um, our streams and to remember who God has called you to be. Today, we're going to kind of transition to our fall series, and it's a new series that we're calling Salt and Light. And um, this series, you know, if you hear the name, uh, you might think it's about evangelism or telling people about the gospel, and it is that, but it is so much more than that. And I want to tell you a little bit um, about what it means to be salt and light today. Uh, it's not just about evangelism, it's about how we live in this world, how we as a church now go from reclaiming who we are in the church to moving out into the world. Uh, Jesus, he assumes um, that we're going to uh, be a part of this culture, right? be a part of this world. Uh, but for Christians, sometimes it's hard for us to understand what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be digesting um, everything that's happening, because it seems like culture is changing and moving so quickly, and so many things are changing. And for some of us, we might feel like we should just distance ourselves uh, from the culture and oh, we should just separate ourselves uh, from the culture because so many things are changing and a lot of things we don't agree with. But the, the truth of the matter is um, that we are called to be in this world. In fact, if you think about it, this world, as strange as it can be for Christians at times, is the only world we have. And this is not the devil's world. This is God's world. This is God's culture. Um, he has given us this world to be in it. He, it's his invention. He created this world, and he's redeeming this world. And so he's called us to be in the world. In fact, I love what um, Andy Crouch says about culture. He says, sometimes Christians say, oh, Lord, deliver us from this culture. But he says, well, if he delivered you, where would he put you? <laughs> Everywhere is culture. Everywhere is the world. There's no place that he could put you that's not culture. Um, every place that we are called to is the Lord's. The call is not for us to figure out how to get out of this world, uh, but for us to live with power and wisdom and love in this world. And that's what this fall series is going to be about, salt and light. How do we live in this world, in this culture, with wisdom, courage, power, love, gentleness? And so we're going to talk about that um, this fall, but today I want to just start uh, with the first half of Salt and light. Salt. What does it mean for us to be salt um, in this world? And then next week, we're going to have a guest preacher, Pastor Doug Park. He's going to come, and he's going to be preaching about what it means for us to be light. Uh, but today, we're just going to spend time figuring out um, what does it mean for us to be salt, uh, salty in this world. And so there are um, two parts that I want to show you that salt is our identity that he's called us to be. And then secondly, uh, salt is attractive. And really the message that I wanna get across here is that what he's calling us to be in this world is he's calling us to be the flavor of this world. 
And so I want to show you uh, what that's all about. Salt as flavor. Um, and so our passage is, is Matthew 5.13. It's just one verse that we're going to cover in our, uh, in our sermon today, and it goes like this, Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come with our heads bowed because we need your help and we need your Spirit's help, all of us. And we pray that you would make clear to us why you called us salt. What did you mean? How do we become salt? I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand deep in our core the calling. And I pray, move our hearts um, to want it. Father, we pray that our hearts and our minds would be engaged with your word, and if there's anything blocking our hearts, I just pray that you would remove it. I pray that you would remove the things that are censoring our hearts from the word of God so that we can receive it with purity, with love, and we just invite you and ask you to help us now with your word that you gave to us because we're thirsty for it. Help us, O God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, you are salt. You are the salt of the earth. Today, I kind of want to dig into that. What does it mean? In Jesus' day, in Jesus' place where he lives, most of where they got their salt was the Dead Sea. It's the uh, saltiest body of water on earth, and that's really where they harvested all their salt. But when you read this verse, and today is just one verse, um, you get the sense that Jesus is very concerned that we would lose our saltiness. That salt, you are salt, and he's concerned that we would lose that flavor of, of salt. And so this week I, I thought, does salt really lose flavor? I mean, in my life, I've never had salt that wasn't salty. I don't know about you. I mean, you can dilute salt, you can put it in water, you can put it on food, and it kind of disperses the flavor. But I thought, what, what is Jesus worried about? Does salt actually get unsalty? And so I looked it up this week, and I spent some time, I was a little bit sidetracked. I got into all these kind of weird rabbit holes about salt. Um, but I found out, uh, this is what I found out from all my research. Um, does salt lose its flavor? It can't. Uh, if you guys remember from your chemistry class, salt is NaCl, sodium chloride. And what I found out is that sodium chloride is chemically extremely stable. And uh, it very rarely loses its saltiness. It can't, actually. In fact, if you eat salt that's not salty, most likely the reason is it's not salt. Um, there's no such thing as salt that loses its flavor. And so I was thinking, what is Jesus talking about? What salt that loses its salt flavor? What... What is he talking about? And I realized, oh, that's exactly what he's talking about. It's impossible. It's impossible for salt to lose its flavor. If you have salt that's not salty, you don't have salt. I realized that he's making a really, really strong argument that if your identity is in Christ, then you must be salty. If you're not salty, then you might not be in Christ. I realized, wow, he's making a really strong argument about who we are in Christ. Um, it's part of our identity 
that we are salt. And if you're not Christian here, if you're visiting church or if you're kind of new to this environment, welcome. Um, If you're here and you're still trying to figure out what goes on in church, we're really glad you're here and checking us out. But I want to explain to you what makes us Christian because it kind of speaks to this salt thing. You see, um, as Christians, we're not here because of anything that we accomplished. We're not here because of anything that we did. In fact, we're really broken people. Um, I don't know if you can tell when you meet a Christian, um, but some people you can tell right off the bat, like, whoa, there's something really wrong with this person. But most of us are pretty good at covering it up. We're we're mostly pretty good at not showing you that we're broken people, but the fact of the matter is we are, um, and I am the worst of them. Uh, But we are really broken, broken people, and the good news of what made us Christian is that God actually saw that that these people were messed up people and that they were broken people. And what God did was really amazing because God, totally on his own initiative, without consulting us, without looking at our achievements, without looking at any characteristics of our life, God totally on his own acted to save messed up people. He initiated it all on his own, and he moved and created this plan to save people, and he did it all on his own, and he sent his son Jesus Christ to earth, and his son gave his life to pay for the sins and the wrongs of those messed up people. And now, when we believe in Jesus, we get the benefits of new life and forgiveness, all those things that we sang about, and we get all of that totally unrelated to what we've done. And we as Christians, we call that the gospel, means the good news. And and it's just the good news because we had nothing to do with that. He didn't consult with us. He didn't ask us. He just mercifully, graciously gave us love and gave us his son. That's what makes us Christian. And so Christians, we don't believe that we're any better than anyone else. In fact, we're the people who recognize that we're messed up. But when he saves us, he makes us different people. He spiritually changes the chemistry of the saved people of God, those people. He changes them to be salt. And that's why for the rest of the sermon, when you hear about us being salt, this is not some triumphalistic message saying, because we're better, we have to go and change culture, we have to win it for Jesus. Not exactly. It's not because we're, we're that much better or anything like that, but because by grace, he has changed us and given us this powerful message of the gospel. And that's why he says, you are salt. You're not trying to be salt. You're not trying to be salt. You are salt. That's how powerful the argument is. Now, then, what does it mean then when he says that you are salt? What did he make us into by his grace? Let's look at uh, verse 13 again. This is what he says. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored. There are a lot of components of salt. There are a lot of characteristics and how you can use it. And I'm going to talk about it in the various other sermons in this series. But today, I just want to focus on one thing, flavor. Salt is flavor. It's taste. Uh, What salt does is it enhances the flavor of food. And what Jesus is saying is that you enhance the world. You make things brighter and joyful, and you bring hope to this world. You bring light to this world. You see, 
um, in opposition to what a lot of people may think of Christians, and especially fundamentalist Christians, um, some people think that Christians suck the joy out of stuff, right? That we suck the joy out of things, right? And we make things black and white and bland and gray. It's not what Jesus says. What Jesus says is totally the opposite, is that when you have a Christian in your neighborhood, it should enhance that neighborhood. It should bring joy and hope into that neighborhood. When your friend is a Christian, it changes you because he brings flavor to your life. Do you know that, that you are salt, that you are the one who is to bring deep flavor to this world? Martin Lloyd-Jones, he talks about a world without Christians in his book, Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he says. He says, life without Christianity is insipid. Does not the world prove that? Look at the pleasure mania, clearly. And he wrote this decades ago, right? even more so now. Clearly, people are finding life dull and boring, so they must be rushing out to this entertainment or that. But the Christian does not need these entertainments because he has a savor in life, his Christian faith. Take Christianity out of the world, and what an insipid thing life becomes. It's utterly tasteless, and men have to drug themselves in various ways because they feel their need of a savor. Obviously, Lloyd-Jones feels very strongly about this, and so does Jesus, that it's our faith that gives us this deep meaning, hope, and color in life. Jesus meets with a woman at the well in John 4, and she's done everything she can to make her life better, but she can't do anything that has any effect. And so Jesus sits there on the well and tries to bring color and hope into her life. Uh, we'll get back to that at the end of the sermon. But that's what Christians are to do. We are to bring this in interesting variable into people's lives. If you have a Christian friend, you should be intrigued by that Christian friend because that Christian friend has a unique meaning and insight into life. Think about it. If you are a Christian, you have been thinking about things like purpose, direction, of life, eternity, morality, even thinking about these things. And you have been receiving eternal meaning through Jesus Christ. Christians are the salt of the earth. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation um, with a, a non-believer and found, well, this person, if you really push them to the end, they don't really know what the meaning of life is. They don't really know what the purpose and you get this in the media a lot. People are very outraged. People are very passionate. And yet when you dig, they don't know what they want as the end product of society. But they're very angry. And you find that as Christians, we have a deep meaning to our life that is from the gospel. Not only that, we have joy. We have a joy that is not from this world. When you look at Jesus' inaugural miracle, when he goes to turn water into wine, his, it's his first miracle because he's saying to the world, I bring joy. You know, he goes to this wedding and this young couple, they didn't plan well. They end of their wedding, they run out of wine, which is pretty embarrassing. And then Jesus turns water into wine. And when he does that, the master of ceremonies comes out and he says, why did you save the best wine for last? <laughs> what a waste. But you, this is the best stuff. Where did you get this? Where is this from? What is this? You save the best for last. And what Jesus is showing is, I come into this world to bring joy. The world thinks they have joy because they have a little bit of wine, but they don't have the real stuff. 
don't have the real flavor of life. That's what Christians are to be. When Jesus says, you are salt, we are to bring that flavor into the places where we are. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, in the relationships that you have, hit on that deep, deep flavor of who you are and to bring it out in your conversations. In Colossians 4, 6, Paul says something uh, really interesting. He, in Colossians 4, says, Paul says, says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. You know, it's a sprinkle salt in your conversations with your coworkers. Sprinkle a little salt in your conversations uh, with your neighbors and with your friends. Sprinkle it, season it with salt, just a little bit. I imagine you guys at a barbecue um, I don't know, this is just my mental picture. Uh, you're at a barbecue with some friends, coworkers, maybe neighbors, and you're talking about something, and all of a sudden it, you kind of hit a pain point, an annoyance in someone's life. And one of our congregation members is, you know, imagine them holding a drink like this and says, yeah, you know, and that, I think that that's why I treasure my faith so much, because I, I don't think I could do this without faith. And your neighbor, your coworker says, what do you mean? He says, you know, because I think it's hard to find meaning, it's hard to find direction, it's hard to find joy, um, unless I have my faith. And I'm just so really glad for that. And I think most people will just say, okay, that's great. And they'll walk away. Some people will engage you and ask you, can you tell me more? But a lot of people will say, that's good for you, that's great. But a lot of those people will walk away wondering, I wonder what he meant. I wonder what she meant. Sprinkle a little salt. Just a little bit. Season with salt your conversations with people. Don't you see? You have something that is deeper, that people long for. I love what C.S. Lewis says about fairy tales. He says, fairy tales initiate something in us that tell us that there's something more than this world. Um, I don't know if you've read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but if you look at the very beginning of the book, there's a dedication. He dedicates the book to his goddaughter. And, you know, it took him a long time to write that book. When he first started writing that book, his goddaughter was little. But she started growing um, a little bit quicker than he could finish his book. And he writes this in his uh, dedication. If you open up the book, you'll see this. Um, He says, I wrote this story for you, but when I began it, I had not realized that girls grow quicker than books. (laughs) You know, our kids, they like fairy tales, but then at a certain point, when they hit adolescence, they think they're too good for fairy tales, and they want to, you know, really engage reality, you know, like facts, and they become a little bit pessimistic, and they think it's realistic, and they want to think about money, and jobs, and real life, and But then, what happens? We know, when you get all that stuff, a hunger starts to grow back, doesn't it? A hunger grows in us that says, there's gotta be more. There's gotta be more than financial security. There's gotta be more than just working a job. There's gotta be more to this life. And we start to hunger for something more than here. C.S. Lewis says, I didn't know it would take me so long to write this book. I forgot that girls grow faster than books. But, he says, someday you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. 
One day, when you get all that stuff that you want, you'll mature and you'll get old enough to hunger for things that are more than this world. We have a flavor that's not from here. We have meaning and purpose and depth, a joy that this world doesn't have color. That's why Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. I love what G.K. Chesterton says about fairy tales too. He says, fairy tales do not tell children that dragons exist. Children already know that. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be killed. You see what he's saying? He's saying fairy tales tell us that there's a hope outside of what's here. Aren't you a lot more anxious than when you were a kid? Don't you have more dragons in your life now? Don't you sleep less than when you were a kid? Are you more freaked out about stuff? Don't you have more dragons now than when you were little? But fairy tales, he says, they tell kids that dragons can be killed. And what our faith tells us is that there is hope that can overcome the things that keep you up at night. There's flavor from outside of this world. If you're a parent, I encourage you, it's not in my notes, but just kind of, I encourage you to, to really teach through uh, fairy tales. We went to a circus yesterday um, in Paramus, and um, there was a clown. And my younger daughter, she got really scared of the clown, and so she had to go home. But my older daughter, Mia, um, I could tell she was a little bit nervous <laughs> when the clown came, right? Clowns are a little bit freaky. Um, but I asked her afterwards, what did you think of the clown? And she said, I was scared too. But she said, um, but I told myself to be brave. And... Um, there are these fairy tales that we read together about a girl uh, who experiences all these difficulties, and, but through faith, she learns how to have courage. And um, I was just really proud of her that she was able to apply it when the cloud came out. And for us, brothers and sisters, um, we need something that is um, not from here. We need the flavor of eternity. We need the power of hope and joy that's not from here. C.S. Lewis says that there is a hunger here that your neighbors have, that your coworkers have. This world is bland uh, without eternity, but you are the salt of the earth, and that's why you're here. That's what it means to be salt. What I want to close with, then, is to ask the question, but what if I don't feel very salty? (laughs) What if I don't feel like I have a lot of flavor? What if I feel bland? It's not possible chemically for um, sodium chloride to lose its flavor, but it sure is possible, it seems, for us as spiritual salt to be bland. A lot of us know that feeling, and so how do we get our flavor back? Sometimes we feel hopeless because even among our Christian friends, we don't even have real conversations about the flavor of eternity, about the power of the gospel. And so sometimes we get discouraged. How do we get that back? I want to tell you that the way you get this back is not by rushing out into the world and forcing you to do evangelism or to do anything. You have to come back and savor Christ. And when we savor Christ again, 
our identity begins to be reformed and we get that saltiness back. The woman at the well is sitting, well, she's not sitting, she's coming to the well, but here is a woman who has done everything that she can to take herself out of the world. Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth. She's done everything possible to remove herself from the world, hiding away. And she doesn't feel very salty. She doesn't feel like she has any flavor. In fact, she feels like she's ashamed. And so she's removed herself from the world and hid hid herself away. There's no flavor in her. She's broken and disconnected and bland. What do you tell somebody like that? You just got to get out there. You have to go and evangelize. You have to tell people about Jesus. Is that what you would tell her? That's not what I would tell her. She's broken inside. She's bland. She's got no flavor of Christ. But don't you see, that's why Jesus had to go to that well. He had to go to that well. And he goes through Samaria. And here's the well Jacob's well, where she goes to draw water, and here is the well of living water sitting on top of Jacob's well, waiting for this woman to come. Because he knows that more than the water that's in the hole, she needs the living water of meeting Jesus and savoring him again. So he's waiting there for her. He sits there waiting for her, waiting to woo her, to give her joy again, meaning again, purpose again, perspective, renew the flavor of eternity in her heart because she has done. And when she finally comes, you see a real gentleness in Jesus. You could tell he doesn't want to scare her away. Can't you tell that from the conversation, if you've ever read it? He's very gentle with her because here is a woman who has been shell-shocked by shame. She doesn't want, she's meeting a religious leader, you know. He doesn't want to freak her out. He doesn't want to scare her away like a rabbit. So he's very gentle with her, asks her questions. But then at the end of the conversation, she says, yeah, well, when Messiah comes, everything will be okay. When Messiah comes, I'll be okay. We'll all be okay. Can you imagine Jesus' heart pounding out of his chest because she says, when Messiah comes. See, she understands the Messiah is the key. That some, someone out of this world is the key and she's finally gotten there, but she doesn't recognize that it's him. He's sitting right there on top of the well. He, but he can't, he's, he can't scare her away. He says very gently, woman, I, I who speak to you am he. He's come. I'm here. And if you would just savor me, and if you would just um, get to know me, if if you would just rediscover who I am, you would get joy again and meaning again and purpose again. If you would savor me, everything would be different. I who speak to you am he. I'm right here. I've been waiting for you, sitting on this well. And she has this transformative experience with Jesus. And here is the woman who's done everything she could to separate herself from the world. And she drops her water bucket. And she goes into town and engages the culture she ran from. Because she's salty again. She's become savoring again. And she runs into town and she says, come, come. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Christ? Come. She ran away from the world, but savoring Christ, she sprinted back 
and became a sprinkle of salt in Samaria. And lots of people came to know Christ that day. You know, this sermon is probably making some of you guys say, I'm not very salty. You are the salt of the earth. No, I'm not. I am not. I barely have a desire for Jesus. If that's you, brothers and sisters, Jesus is saying to you, don't sit there feeling guilty. Don't sit there feeling guilty about all the opportunities you missed with your neighbors, all the opportunities you missed with your coworkers, all the ways that you sinned in front of your non-Christian friends. Don't sit there and wallow in your guilt. Why would you do that? That's what Satan wants you to do. But Jesus says, just come to me. I am here. I have been waiting for you. Savor me, and you will be the salt of the earth again. One of my favorite names for God is he's the lifter of our head. I think that he's really that for us, brothers and sisters. We need to be the salt of the earth, but how we do that is we savor Christ. And today, in this worship service, I call you to savor Christ again. You are the salt of the earth. That identity will never leave you. But if you actually want to be, we need to learn the savor of Jesus again. He's been waiting for you. He's here now. I who speak to you am he. Come and savor him, and you will be the salt of the earth. Let's pray. At this time, I just want to call you um, just to spend some time and come back to the Lord, and there needs to maybe be some confession, and there needs to maybe be some honesty with God. But did you forget You just forgot how good he is. All your life he's been faithful. All your life he's been so, so good. Have you forgotten the goodness of God? He's here and he's been waiting for you. Today I encourage you to savor him. Have you just been living in the black and white, the bland of this world? You've forgotten dragons can be killed. Are you at the point where you're finally old enough to believe again? My brothers and sisters, come to the Lord. He's been waiting for you. He's been waiting for you to savor him, abide in him. Let me give you a moment with your Christ, and we'll pray together. Let me just give you a moment with him first. Let's pray. saved us, you gave us so much um, meaning and depth and purpose and hope. Um, You gave us so much flavor, I guess, in our identity, and uh, we just want to confess to you, Lord, we have become that salt that has not become salty, as impossible as it seems. Lord, we did it. Uh, We lost our uniqueness. We lost the depth of who we are. We pray that today that you would help us to regain our saltiness, 
the flavor of what it means to know Jesus, to know eternity. I pray, oh God, help us to savor you because you have been so good to us. All our life, you have been faithful. All our life, you have been so, so good. And today, you wait on us to rediscover the goodness of our God. Speak tenderly to us. There are some of us here. They're nervous. Don't, don't scare them away. But I pray, oh God, help them to see gently how good you are. And then help us again to be the salt of this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all rise and respond to him with a song as we give our gifts. Thank <laughs> you.